This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It is Monday the 8th of March 2021. That's right. And here in Australia, we are continuing to be in a quite a nice space when it comes to very, very low numbers of coronavirus cases. But of course, that's not the case around the world. And even though millions and millions of doses of vaccines have been distributed globally, we're still not seeing a decline in numbers that is very satisfactory, are we, Norman? In Europe, there was a million new coronavirus cases in the in the past week, and that's up from the previous six weeks. It was sort of starting to decline, but then that number's rising again. So what's going on? Two or three things are going on. One is that uh, the rollout of the vaccine has been very slow in Europe. Um, they've done it as a single community and lots of dissatisfaction about how it's been organised centrally by the European community. Britain, on the other hand, has immunised quite a high proportion of the of, of its community. It's 32% or so has had at least one shot, but only 1.6% are fully vaccinated. But nonetheless, you have seen a significant decline in both cases and deaths in Britain. And in the United States, 17% of the population has had one shot, are fully vaccinated. The difference between Britain and the United States is that the United States is sticking to the three-week gap between doses. Britain's more linked to the Astra vaccine, is waiting 12 weeks, but it's also waiting a longer time for the Pfizer doses as well. So America is ahead of Britain in terms of fully immunised people in the population. What about the variants? Are they playing a role in this uptick in case numbers globally? Uh, Well, they're certainly spreading. There's no question about that. So the B117 variant, uh, which was really first detected in Britain back in December, probably been circulating since September, has now been detected in over 90 countries and 46 states in the United States. The Centers for Disease Control in the United States has suggested that it might become the dominant form of COVID-19 by March. And remember, the United States is still getting about 60,000 cases a day. So, I mean, it's still huge in the United States. Well, we're in March now, so pre- presumably that's really close. And But we know that the UK, so-called UK strain, is targeted by the vaccines that we have at our disposal at the moment. We know that the strain out of South Africa maybe isn't quite as susceptible to the, the vaccines. Do we just need to be rolling out vaccines faster so that we can stay ahead of these variants spreading? Well, the South African variant is, in fact, a worry. And it's been detected in 48 countries. And there's two cases in quarantine in Canberra as we speak. And it certainly seems to evade antibodies to the first form of the virus. And it certainly seems to reduce the effectiveness of vaccines and certainly Astra by quite a lot. And then there's the Brazilian variant, which could be resistant as well. So the question then is what your strategy should be. And the strategy for Australia is different from overseas. So overseas, you've just got to get vaccines out there really quickly to stop people dying of the disease. And they all seem to be very protective against severe disease. So if you were living in Europe, you want to get those out and you want to get them quickly and you want to get as many people immunized as you possibly can. But the problem is the how the virus, how these variants emerge. And we haven't spoken about that very much on coronacast. So how these variants emerge is in, is in people who don't have a particularly good antibody response to the virus. So those are people generally who are immunocompromised. 
In countries like Australia, Britain, America, the people who are immunocompromised tend to people who've got cancer, who are immunosuppressed and autoimmune disease, or they've had an organ transplant. And in them, they don't get a good antibody response. Therefore, the immune system doesn't hit the virus really hard early. And the virus has got time in their body to mutate around the weak antibody response. And it's thought that these immunocompromised people are actually the source of COVID-19. And they actually produce quite a lot of COVID-19 virus. In South Africa, there are a lot of people, unfortunately, with HIV or only partially treated HIV. So it's a very large population of immunocompromised people. There's a lot of people with HIV in Brazil as well. So it's not necessarily surprising why these are, are emerging. But here's the thing. Now, this doesn't apply to Australia. If you wait 12 weeks between doses and you've only got a partial immune response after your first vaccine, then the vaccine population becomes a source of variance because they've only got a partial antibody response yet to be proven, but it is a theoretical concern, which we've worried about before on Coronacast. That's not a worry in Australia because we, ha we are not being exposed to COVID-19. So we're not going to throw off variants we've got time to actually develop a decent immune response. What do we do about that as a global community of people with basically the same genetic, you know, like humans are humans and our biology is that we are susceptible to viruses. If this is happening anywhere in the world, it's a problem for Australia. How do we solve this problem? By mass immunising with high performance vaccines around the world so that the vaccine is significantly better than natural infection so that your antibody response is strong probably means that people who are immune compromised should really only get the Pfizer, Moderna or maybe Novavax when it comes on stream vaccines. The viral vectored vaccines may not be strong enough for people who are immunocompromised. So let's talk about the vaccine rollout here in Australia because GP clinics are now going to be part of that rollout, which means we're really going to be rapidly accelerating the number of people who are getting the COVID shot here in Australia. Yep. And there's mutterings from general practices being reported in the newspapers saying, well, they're not getting paid enough. It's too complicated and they haven't got enough vaccine doses to cover. In other words, the economics of rolling it out and infrastructure they've got to put in place is not worth it for 50 vaccines. They've got to, they might be waiting until they get a larger number before they roll it out. So I think there's a bit of bedding down to be, to be done there. Um, the aim here and I'm quoting now from the document that's been sent out to general practices, is that there's going to be one front door um, in the National Health Services Directory or Health Director Australia for people to check their eligibility and find out where they can get a vaccine. So you go into a website, which no doubt will be given to us quite soon, and there'll be automatic links to clinics offering vaccine appointments. And there's booking engines in Australia where you can book appointments and they will still operate for the vaccine system. So with if I go to the, my GP to get my shot, is it going to cost me anything? No, they're not allowed to charge a gap. You, it will be covered by Medicare. Well, we heard the health minister say over the weekend that 500,000 Australians a week would be getting COVID vaccines very soon. 
And we put the call out last week to those of you who have needle phobia or just a bit anxious about getting a shot with asking for your tips on how you manage that. And heaps of you sent in answers. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, Here are some of what you said. Naomi says that she finds that focusing on a treat that she allows herself to have after injections helps reduce the anxiety beforehand. So there used to be a great cafe across the road from her GP and she'd book an appointment and tell herself after the, the appointment she'd go and have a treat meal at the cafe. Oh, that's good. And then Lynn says, um, I've had a needle phobia from my childhood years and used to faint whenever given a needle. However, I had to spend three months in hospital on a blood test night and morning. Initially, I did faint even though lying down. But after a while, I just got used to it. And I didn't faint now, even though there's always a problem in finding the vein. Yeah, we all, we all know about that one. Well, we don't need to find a vein because it's an intramuscular injection. And the final thing was be brave. Don't look. Talk to the nurse about an unrelated topic and get ready to put your head between your knees. <laughs> Thank you, Lynn. I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be distracting the nurse too much from finding a vein, but anyway. Yeah. Oh, I like making small talk with the nurse when I'm getting a shot. Uh, Tara says that she uses yoga practices like breathing. So she makes sure she's lying down. She asks to lie down when she's getting the shot, breathes in two, three, hold, out two, three, repeating in a cycle and visualizing a place that she loves. And she says an advantage of this is that you can practice at home and be prepared before your actual appointment. Yeah, that's good desensitizing. Well, that's all we've got time for on Coronacast today, but you can send in your questions or comments at abc.net.au slash coronacast and make sure you mention Coronacast on your way through so that we can find it. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you then. Mm